0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Little's gonna take it from way out. Oh! Oh,
1: What? What? That was insane.
0: Unbelievable. Series. That's even better than 2014. Oh, man. He ended the series. What a shot! Unbelievable. Wow. He said he was setting it up the whole time. That's it, one of the greatest shots in NBA history. And that gave right him there.
1: 50 points for the game. I mean, <laughs> un, un, unbelievable. I mean, you, you, he played, what a he played the entire first half. He looked flat for most of the, most of the second half and then comes back with the finish to give them the tie and then the three pointer to win the damn series.
0: And they were down 15 with like seven minutes left. Down eight with three minutes left, and just an incredible comeback, incredible series. What a shot, man. I I can't wait to see the replay of this. Here we go. A step back to his right. That's 40 feet. That is a (laughs) 40-foot step back to his right to win the fucking series. Always. Always a privilege to see one of the greatest shots in NBA history live Dave Lillard, 37 foot step back three pointer to his right in his 45th minute of the game completing a 15 point comeback in the fourth quarter for the Blazers they win the series 4 to 1 he waves goodbye to the Thunder bench his 50th point of the game just one of the best performances we've seen in a long time
1: it was absolutely indelible i mean this a, and this was an ab- absolutely fascinating captivating important game long before the final shot even long before the 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 final push that that swung it back i mean damian lillard shot gave him 50 points he had 34 of those 50 in the first half When he played all 24 minutes, largely because CJ McCollum dealt with foul trouble, and the swings in this second half, and I'm sure there will be people who focus on narratives and who focus on takes who will have plenty of that, but the substance of this game and the swings of this game were absolutely incredible
0: yeah okc had you know their usual kind of five point lead paul george gets his third foul gets taken out of the game and like in game four when george was on the bench at the end of the second quarter in foul trouble portland goes on a late run takes the lead about three minutes left in the third they're up nine 84 75 you feel like the game is over you know okc is on the road one thing you can say about okc is they do not quit in these elimination games remember they're at home last year down 25 in the third and their athleticism and playmaking when they really get into desperation mode can be pretty incredible and they started hitting shots Schroeder Westbrook hit some three-pointers finally and they went on a 30 to 6 run it was 84 75 and all of a sudden OKC led it 105 to 90. In that third quarter the Blazers
1: went 9 of 27 from the field they Fortunately for them, didn't turn the ball over much. But even despite that, nine to twenty-seven and OKC hitting a bunch of shots, it only ended up being a thirty to twenty-seven margin. But then OKC really pouring it on in the fourth quarter is what established that margin.
0: Yeah, I mean to lead one hundred five to ninety with seven forty-five remaining after a tennis Schroeder three-pointer, and they actually got it back again to one hundred seven ninety-two with seven twelve remaining. I, I didn't realize that until I'm going back looking through the the play-by-play here. And so from that point on, the Thunder score six points Blazers score 21 to tie it at a buck 13 and we'll get into the very end of the game obviously as well Uh, what stuck out to you about that OKC 30 to 6 run and and then the Portland run that responded to that
1: OKC's run key moment key things them hitting shots I mean even in the early portion of the game Oklahoma City drilling their mid-rangers was an important part of the story they were getting you know they were getting them from a lot of different guys Paul George notably among them. Schroeder was, was hitting his shots early. And then he hits a, a couple of big threes during that run as well. And also that was when Portland looked flat. Now, part of it was Lillard looking tired. Part of it was the the time that Lillard was not on the floor, if memory serves, and they just didn't have it offensively. And then also Portland, and this was a, a story of the series in a series that Portland wanted five games. They had, they put out some really low probability success lineups and I thought that that was a part of what what really drove Oklahoma City Oklahoma City you know they 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 maximized the opportunity that was presented but also I mean you you talked about that that I mean stretch and 30 to 6 part of it for me was very little in that in that stretch of Alfred Camino and Mo Harkless, two of the better defenders and also that was when Ennis Canner, like he was dealing with physical issues a lot of this game and so Portland relying heavily on Evan Turner and guys that were tired and guys that weren't as good as their best players that was really the group that seeded the lead
0: yeah and one of the things I really noticed was a lack of spacing for that penetration Dame went out for the first three minutes of the fourth and that was when they built a lot of that lead as well I mean I, I didn't think the defense was that terrible you know a lot of it was Russ I think hit three three-pointers in that stretch a shooter not a great three-point shooter hit I think a couple in there George was unbelievable overall in this game with 36 points on 14 of 20 and he played the whole second half i believe as well ended on 42 minutes jeremy grant played 44 minutes and he shot it well from downtown he he had the miserable first two games in portland and then uh, hit the three ball well he had finished with 16 points also um
1: it, it's a little bit more it's a minutes. little bit more extreme Paul yeah. George Jeremy Grant and Russell Westbrook all played the entire second half
0: wow that's pretty insane yeah I mean Marquise Morris four minutes Raymond Felton three minutes Nerlens Noel eight minutes I mean that was uh yeah and Grant played a lot at, at small ball center and uh you know we'll talk somewhat too about wh- where the Thunder go from here obviously they d- deserve a post-mortem on this one but really it, when Portland started to come back a lot of it was uh CJ McCollum who had had a nightmare game up until then starting to just make those tough mid ranges that he made it throughout the series they had seth curry on the floor basically i think the whole time there in the fourth quarter as they're making that comeback i thought that stats should have gone back to aminu uh and then eventually when they're down eight they're still down eight with about three minutes left 113 105 and stats took out cancer maybe with some of the physical issues or just because they thunder had gone small and dame was talked about that small lineup after the game and said hey you know it made the reads easier we were spreading the floor a lot more and when guys would help you knew you could just throw it to someone at the three-point line so they went with aminu at center harkless and then the three guards curry lillard and mccollum matched up against that lineup with grant at center and Shooter and Stephen Adams only played 29 minutes in this one, and, and again was relatively ineffective. So they decided to go for more of a small look and more switch, and I think it actually worked pretty well uh, against what the Blazers uh, were doing through most of the game. But they just eventually were able to just beat their guys one on one just enough.
1: Yeah, I mean we we've wondered, and there have been moments in time to be sure that uh, Portland's guards just the shot making wasn't quite enough. I mean the series they lost the to the Warriors a couple times in a row. And, you know, they've just, they've had a rough COVID on that. It was a different issue last year against New Orleans. And this time, you know, some of what going back and rewatching the final three and a half minutes of this game, something that really stood out to me beyond the fact that Portland had significantly more scoreless possessions than I had remembered was the difficulty of most of the shots they made. And there were a few exceptions and we'll, we'll talk about those to be sure, but CJ hitting a few just tough shots was really impressive and it was just enough to get them this incredible win
0: yeah i think we could do a a few more notes here before we get into that last stretch because i do want to break that down because i I think it's very instructive especially from okc's standpoint uh, to some degree Uh, and also just this is an awesome game i want to be on record uh, with with what happened here and uh that's what we do on dunked on i thought that okc had a lot of success early part of why george went 14 to 20 was for the first time really in the series they had him and russ run a lot of pick and rolls and try to get paul george the ball in an iso against a shorter defender like cj and just he was able to shoot right over the top of those guys a lot of times they didn't even make him put it on the floor which i I was of course apoplectic about during the game but because he he, if if he just catches the ball and he can just shoot shoot over you without even having to dribble or move i mean that's just a layup for him basically but they got a lot of those really good looks early on so i I thought they deserve a, a lot of credit for that although they still to me didn't go Enough to that late, uh and that kind of re- reminded you uh, of some of the stuff they were doing back in 2016 at, against the Clippers, right?
1: Right. So that Clippers
0: series, which, or, or I, sh- I should say, the Clippers were doing, the, the Clippers the were doing it
1: to the Blazers. Yeah. So in that series, the Clippers went out to what seemed at the time to be a pretty authoritative lead in the series, largely in the early portion by these small, small pick and rolls. One of the early times that both of us, but especially me, harped on low resistance switches, especially true with that Clippers team because you knew that oftentimes Chris Paul was just going to pound the air out of the ball either way he wasn't at that point in his career especially he wasn't really going to take a lot of those threes and was that series and then Boston Cleveland I think I think that might have been the same season it might have been the year later and this was largely the same idea you know do an initial even if it's perfunctory you know just a little basic thing you can get the matchup you want and Get Paul George to attack that. And what blew our minds, you you talked about you talked about Paul George and going to it more often was that Portland arguably was doing the same thing, but they were doing it at moments to get what what I feel and what uh, was a superior defender on Damian Willard
0: yeah i mean and finally they went away from that in that key possession at the very end but i mean anytime Lillard or mccollum just attacked schroeder one-on-one they were just getting great shots every single time and why they wanted to i mean those guys can still create against anybody just about but why they wanted to get lillard's switched with grant who who is the most often guy uh, most often the guy that they did that with over shooter i had no idea I and mean, we talked about that in game four too uh the thunder also had success involving steph or seth curry i should say in the pick and roll and having westbrook go at him with where even if westbrook wasn't going to shoot it he could just physically overpower him and, and get into the lane and the blazers you know not an unbelievable rim protecting team and, and the thunder were really assaulting the rim at times in this one especially they had 20 points in the paint in the first quarter and then it, it kind of dropped off a little bit after that the, the thunder also just ended up shooting it very well from 312 3- out of 27 and the foul line was a, a bugaboo uh, for both teams as well yeah i, I want to
1: briefly go through the shot charts for both yeah russell westbrook and paul george so let's start with pg five shots at the rim was made four of those and got to the free throw line eight times though not all of those were on drives. some of those were on shooting fouls or reaches things like that and so he was so four or five there three of three from floater range four of four from mid-range and then three of eight from long distance then russell westbrook 13 shots at the rim only five of 13 Got to the free throw line for a total of three free throws in this game. That's then, amazing. Then two of seven from mid range and four of eleven from three. I believe three of those four makes from three were in that big thirty to six they run. Were. Yeah. And and Schroeder hit two threes in that point. And so, like, so Russell Westbrook had a very good stretch, but had a rough, really rough game outside of that. I mean, hit for the first half, Westbrook and remember, Oklahoma City was had a huge offense in that first half, despite Westbrook as a shooter i mean he had six assists had a lot of really nice feeds including some to steven adams but five of 15 from the field one of five from three and throughout the game but especially during that second quarter I where i remember it in a little bit in the third portland was just conceding russell westbrook jump shot
0: yeah and he did hit a few but portland obviously was right to continue to do that and westbrook finished with 29 points on 32 shooting possessions another rough offensive game when in a game when the other guys really had it working and the fact that the that he how it's possible to only get three free throw attempts when you take 13 shots at the rim and 31 shots overall now he would tell you that he got fouled on a lot of those i i didn't see many of them to be honest um so all right much more to get to here let's talk about the the end of the game but first i want to tell you about zebit which believes that everyone deserves access to lifelong interest-free credit with zebit you have the power to buy what you need and pay over time interest-free there's no cost to join you don't have membership fees you don't have late fees it's not determined by your credit score and your zebit account doesn't impact your credit score it is a marketplace that will give you the power to buy what you need and pay over time interest-free they've more than fifty thousand products they got brand names xbox sony apple gopro fitbit all at competitive prices from electronics to barbecues furniture and more zebit has everything you need for when you need it they have a five-star rating on Trustpilot, and they've earned the trust of hundreds of thousands of customers who shop on zebit sign up for them today at zebit.com slash capspace easy to remember slash capspace url you can get $2,500 credit to shop the Zebit marketplace at zero interest and zero cost to join once again that's credit of $2,500 to shop the Zebit marketplace z-e-b-i-t dot com slash cap space once again don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us so we'll pick it up here 113 105 cj mccollum gets to a nice mid-ranger drove in from the left shoots it over Russ at the free throw line and generally i think if you can make a guy take a contested mid-ranger and you have that that kind of a lead i mean you know that's like a eight point lead with three minutes left that's a you know high 90s win expectancy there so all okc really needed to do a score once or maybe twice down the end you would think and they could have salted it away they tried to get the seth curry switch onto russ and they just went under the screen and curry just never switched onto him and westbrook wasn't going didn't find a way really to attack that and i thought you know okc generally didn't play that way you know they would have the big man set the screen usually i also thought it was interesting that down the end of game four and most of game five hey just what okc went to when they were desperate in that utah series last year tons of switching tons of defensive versatility and you know it makes you think hey maybe they should have like tried playing that way just a little bit during the regular season if you find that we end up having to play this type of defense when we're desperate and now we don't really have the experience playing it and then same thing with the offense right I mean this wasn't really the way that they played offense and yet they ended up having to go to this and so maybe a little more forethought to be like all right we should practice playing this way we might need to have some more versatility to ourselves it didn't see that really from this team during the regular season the games I watched at least
1: there's another point there which is also if you think that's where you might end up using the limited resources as a team that is well into the repeater tax on players that make sense in that closing five. You know, like Schroeder doesn't really work in that he's I mean, I thought Portland didn't pick at that sore nearly enough and you know, other than he, I mean, he hit a ton of shots in this game. But if that's your mentality, is okay, you're relying a lot on Paul George and Russell Westbrook, both incredible talents. They're your primary creators. Then you want guys that are versatile defensively, that can handle different assignments, even if they're not amazing at all of them, and guys that opponents have to respect from three. Well, I mean, that's not exactly who they. I mean, Jeremy Grant, I think, has has really stepped up and been better than I expected. But other than him, and maybe to
0: a lesser extent, Terrence Ferguson yeah one shot in 31 minutes somehow for Terrence Ferguson and that that shot was a trail three I mean that's just yeah he's, he shot it okay but like this guy just started playing 31 minutes for you and he only takes one shot like either number one he's not that good or number two you're not doing enough to get this guy involved and your offense is not egalitarian enough I mean this guy his, his usage rate was like negative five percent for the series it's unbelievable I mean I think, I think last game he was like one out of six or something and that was like a career high and shot it Attempts for him in non-garbage time it seems like uh so they get the switch again of grant on a dame lillard at the other end after, the, after they got the stop uh, on russ and grant just packs his layup into the ground blocks it from behind okc okay, great job getting the loose ball rebound they're still up six with 230 left and this i thought was a huge play at the time i said i thought like this I was like this play is going to decide the game George is trying to get the ball at the elbow they throw it to him he flops but he got kind of shoved a little bit by me mean, at least had the hand on his back and as he catches the ball he falls down and Courtney Kirkland on the near side had a travel starts running the other way and James Capers calls the foul instead so George they're in the bonus and I'm like that's it the game's over they're going to be up eight with two minutes left George is going to hit both these free throws he's a great free throw shooter and they're going to be done and he missed the first one I'm like all right well they'll still be up seven that's still three Possessions. Nope, he misses that one too. So that was huge that he missed those two free throws. And you know, it didn't take much time off the clock either, which uh you, you know that, that was another theme here. How many chances Portland actually ended up getting yeah. due to some errors by by OKC.
1: Before that Paul George foul, I want to mention something else that happened. So OKC recovers the loose ball, Paul George dribbles into the front court and largely stops. OKC tries what I would describe as a loose trap, like they just kind of had a lot of guys around Paul George.
0: Or P- At, Portland did, yeah.
1: Yeah, Portland did. And Paul George kind of moved his arm a little bit. Lillard flopped to try to get Paul George his sixth foul, and then that's how George he passed the ball out to to Jeremy Grant, I believe, and then it ended up circling it ended up circling back to him. But I mean that it it in and of itself, I mean sometimes flopping could create another opportunity. It didn't really seem like they were gonna call that foul, though there were some some interesting
0: calls in this game to be sure. Yeah, so then CJ comes back down, he's guarded by Russ after the missed free throw, and he just pulls up, got a pretty good look, but didn't didn't even hit the rim. But at the very least, though, part of the reason that you take those shots. I mean, number one, it's a, it's a high upside play, and you're down by a lot. But also, it didn't take any time off the clock. So that ended up really mattering a, a lot as well. And then Russ drives. Dave Lillard draws, I mean, one of the more obvious charges you're ever going to see. He came off the strong side corner. Ferguson is wide open in the corner. Westbrook missed him and just jumped as high as he could in, into three guys and ended up getting a, a charge. That shot by Westbrook, actually, as he threw it up, uh, uh, almost jumping over Lillard on that charge, like it somehow actually went in which would have been an and one if they called it a block but there's no way i mean even even i who loathed the charge i mean that was just a terrible decision an obvious charge
1: it absolutely was and then so portland is down they're still down six at this point there's down 113 107 so from when we picked it up to this juncture, Portland has only scored two points and Lillard tries to draw a shooting foul. He kind of goes up for it. You know, I would call it like Chris Paul style, but while he's in the air, passes it to CJ. CJ drives a little bit to his left and hits a banked floater over Paul George that
0: cuts the margin from six to four well and here's the other th- thing that struck me about that play Lillard gets in the air Paul George is one pass away he's guarding CJ McCollum their second best scorer. he had his hands on his knees the entire possession Dave Lillard is like five feet away from him he still has his hands on his knees and then the pass goes to CJ well yeah guess what you're probably not going to close out on him if you're starting from your hands on your knees and your knees dead straight and not in a stance I and mean, granted the guy played the entire second half he played 45 minutes but and you're tell me you're so tired you couldn't just stand there in a stance and like move like and Russ does this all the time like he's always has his hands on his knees on defense and it's just the failure to hold him accountable within the organization you know I don't even want to get into the whole Barry Trammell thing and his overall surliness with the media but that is I think an indication of just there's nobody in this organization that can actually like get him to change you know maybe there's external pressure that can do it you know who knows what motivations he responds to but like this is something that a high school coach like wouldn't be tolerating like to just have your hands on your knees on defense and he probably does that i mean and it's all right it's one thing if it's like okay they're just bringing the ball up you just need to get a quick rest i get it you're tired but like the guy's right next to you he probably could have stole that pass number one if he's ready instead he just you know because the reason your problem is when you're not in a stance your first move is to get into a stance before you can even move and so you're slower then he tries to make up for it and he did have some very nice closeouts in this game to be sure but he tries to make up for it by sprinting out there at absolute full speed and then he just gets blown by because he just wasn't ready to play with a minute 44 left in in an elimination game and it's not I don't know that it's even laziness it's just a lack of fundamentals and a lack of accountability that no one can tell him hey you know what like we're not going to play defense this way you got to be better than that and yeah you're not going to bench Russell Westbrook but think of some of the other coaches like Brad Stevens the improvements that he's gotten Kyrie Irving to make or Dame Lillard how much better he's gotten defensively since he started or, or Steph curry and westbrook just has never done that despite the fact that he said in the media that i'm the best defender at my position which is a joke
1: and he was I mean, it was a lifetime ago. He was a a a much better defender relative to talent level at UCLA. I mean, yeah. he, he could do it. And he has the physical tools to be sure, but you have to combine those physical tools. Andrew Wiggins is another amazing example of this. You have to combine those physical tools, not only with effort, which is what everybody talked about with Wiggins, but training to make sure that you start plays in the right position so that you can make those moves. Because if you're a half, if you're, if you're a motion behind NBA caliber athletes, especially guys as good as Damon CJ, I, that, that, it puts you too far behind, as great of an athlete as Russell Westbrook is. And accountability is a major part of that. And, and. Oklahoma City, over the years, they've had collapses, they've had disappointments in a variety of different formats. And many of those have been offense-based, but then there are other ones where, you know, a, a couple of better defensive possessions would have made the difference too. We focus a lot on the turnovers and everything else, like Game 6 of the 2016 Conference Finals, all those sorts of things. But there are these there are these defensive foibles too, and being a little bit better there, as solid as Oklahoma City has been as a team overall there is a there is some untapped you know some untapped potential both tactically and execution wise that would would have pushed them up
0: uh so then they go back to the other end russ rejects the screen and is able to get into the lane cj is on him jeremy grant's man i think it was harkless comes over contests the shot and russ makes a nice pass to grant and mccollum who is on westbrook almost stumbled but somehow got back into position to get his chest onto grant and force a missed layup and then harkless grabs the rebound rebound Westbrook had kind of fallen towards the baseline after the pass he goes up going for the offensive rebound and commits a, a devastating over the backbreaker I didn't think live that it was a foul but then as I went back and watched the replay I thought it was pretty clear he just like goes through his body and knocks him down and so Now that's two free throws for Portland. Remember, Portland scores on one of their first three possessions during this period. Now it's two free throws for Harkless, who, you know, shot it very poorly. At one point, he was one of six from the line, but he made his last four. And he makes these two, but those over-the-brack breakers will just kill you to put them on the foul line with no time coming off the clock when you're ahead. Then there was a,
1: a tactical decision here. So Billy Donovan called a timeout. And they're up by two points. And so we're sitting there thinking about, well, who's going to be in personnel-wise for each of these two teams? You have have a situation where if OKC gets a bucket, it puts them in command position. And so we both thought, you know, they're going to go more defense first. But surprising to us, Seth Curry is on the floor and Seth Curry makes a huge play.
0: Yeah, he uh, caused Paul George uh, to lose his dribble out top. Did a great job of uh, just picking his pocket basically pretty early in the possession and donovan we were both critical as we were watching it live of him taking the timeout at that point i do think that that figured to some degree later on yeah so curry gets the steal and, and you know then he's out there with a, a lot more spacing than you know i mean probably it would have been evan turner would have been the defensive replacement that they go to there and then cj is just one-on-one against paul george i mean it wasn't really a great play by any means but he just crosses him over breaks his ankles and, and hits so the long two to tie the game. I mean, this is still... 57 seconds left and we're tied already so i mean they make this eight point comeback in about two minutes despite having two scoreless possessions in that period no timeout at this point for donovan that would have been his last one uh but they get a really nice action with george and westbrook just continuing to screen for each other they get george the ball right at the elbow and he just shoots it over cj and i thought cj again you know just didn't quite get up on they're trying to avoid the switch so it was a tough play for him to get into the position he needed to be but you really got to kind of be chest to chest with them there and, and just make him put it on the floor and go by you and trust some help as opposed to just letting him shoot over you and that was obviously a, an easy shot so yep one, one after one all way, that
1: one yeah. way of thinking about that is it's it's an x and y axis problem so what cj was doing is he was focusing more on being with the man laterally whereas if you're with the man laterally but you're not into his space going forward and backward then you're not really impacting the shot. So I thought that, you know, and that's again, what you're getting into in terms of trusting help is, well, you need to be up because otherwise the lateral movement doesn't matter as much because the guy's getting an open shot, which is what Paul George did with CJ. Wasn't affecting it very much.
0: So Stotts now calls the timeout 39 seconds left. Great timeout here. You gotta make sure you get the two for one in that situation. And then finally, they just, uh, we talked about it on the NBA cast. We're, like what we're are no, they gonna
1: do? We should yeah. mention something else here. They inbounded I thought part of the reason they were, they were calling the timeout was to advance the ball because you know you need to you need to shoot quickly but they inbounded it from the backcourt and there ended up being a reason for that
0: yeah to just get Lillard going full speed and I I thought again there was going to be they're going to try and attack like Grant or something and I said no just go at Schroeder uh either just take the pull up over him or drive to the room and that's a, what he did he blows by him to his left not very good individual defense by Schroeder I mean it's just it pretty much a straight blow by and the problem with Schroeder too is that he's relatively quick I guess I don't think his fundamentals are that good and then he's so skinny that once you even get close to having a shoulder pass him, you're just going to be able to turn the corner. And George came over to help, made a nice play, forced Lillard into a really difficult finish, and that's something that Lillard has worked on a ton, is uh, his finishing around the rim. Then here would have been a great time for Billy Donovan to use one of his two timeouts, if he still had one of them. He did not. And so Russell, uh, the other thing that Stotts did, which was really good, was he switched up the matchups after they scored on that Westbrook George pick and roll the previous time, and he put Aminu on Westbrook, and he had Harkless still on George. So, if they wanted to do that pick and roll and they switch it, they still would have had a lot of size. But Russ never even looks PG's way. They got plenty of time here. I mean, there's 32.8 left. If they'd had the other time they even could have considered advancing the ball and going for the two for one. But again, they had used the timeout earlier to, I guess, like settle them down or something and draw up that. Great play that immediately resulted in a Seth Curry steal. So uh, again, oh, wait, I think wait before you before yeah. you
1: get into this, I was actually more bothered by the ter- the timeout that Donovan took before that. He took he took their second to last timeout with three and a half minutes to go, at, and they were still Oklahoma City was still up eight at that point, and we were both sitting there doing the NBA wait, cast. They were going, out
0: of timeouts.
1: They only. At the end? I I have it that they that they made that Donovan called his fifth timeout with three twenty eight left, and called his sixth timeout. I'm using the NBA's official yeah, tracker. Oh, yeah, you got seven. Oh, so you're right. You're right. Um. I had it
0: yeah no that one you call it because you're you lose because that it's one the user lose. yeah it. i had
1: it wrong i had the, t- the count wrong in my head
0: um but anyway yeah so to me in the last two minutes especially you have to save your timeouts to accomplish something other than okay guys settle down we're gonna run a really good play this time no like you have you have to save it so you can make substitutions so you can get two for ones so you can advance the ball if you're down like that's what those those do whatever advantage you're getting from giving a big speech to your team and drawing up a play the other guy gets to do the same thing you don't really get too much of an advantage there i mean i think he was worried about where they were at emotionally because they had gotten within two but you know uh, it doesn't that didn't really seem like the time for it, especially because harkless had just made a couple of free throws and they didn't make any subs after that you could have made subs during the free throws so if they're making if they're shooting free throws like that's plenty of time to call a play you know and make sure that everyone knows what you're running during that free throw Anyway, Westbrook wild drive into Aminu wanted a foul call, did not get it. They never look at Paul George, they never look at anyone else. Zero pass possession, not an advantage matchup against Aminu when your jumper is not falling for the last two seasons. And he just wildly throws it up. It actually somehow almost went in, but I mean that was a terrible shot. I mean, I, I called it a wild shot live. uh Portland gets the rebound. Now Westbrook then spends the next three seconds yelling at the referee. Luckily, Portland didn't really looked to push it at all but he was like way behind the play as it turned out obviously they went no time out and they wanted to run the time down paul george did a great job of just deciding hey i'm going to take damian lillard on this last play you know instead of having it be shooter or something and he knew lillard was going to try to take the last shot and initially lillard like called for the screen for a second and then he thought better of it and waved the guy away again and i was like "Ah, maybe they should have called for the screen but i think he was just worried they're going to double team him and he just didn't want that and what he said in the interview afterwards was i was thinking like all right i'm just going to straight up pull it from here and then george i think kind of realized that he might be able to do that and he's like and dave said already right, closed the space out so i was like all right i gotta just pound dribble step back to my right and i mean i couldn't believe that that's the shot he took without even trying to drive and just these sorts of things i don't usually go in for but this sense of theater in just making that be the shot and to then be able to wave goodbye to the thunder bench afterwards i mean like just the level of confidence that that takes and you know maybe that wasn't smart maybe he should have tried to get a better look but he was pretty open i mean if he's he said afterwards he practices that shot and like his leg strength is so good and he's so on balance all the time that like it wasn't difficult for him to get the ball to the rim from there you know i mean even off balance going to a step back he's able to square up perfectly going to his right too I and mean, that's so much harder of a step back than going to your your opposite side to your left side as a right-handed shooter i mean it was just i, I can't get over the shot I, i'm just still absolutely in awe of what a ridiculous moment that was
1: and it's amazing that Luke- Lillard now has two of the absolute iconic shots of this decade. Yeah. I mean, a, a team that has not made an NBA finals team that has, you know, they've won a few playoff series and Lillard has has had the winning shot in two of them like this kind of defining winning shot, but he, he wants those shots. He takes them. And, and for me, not only because it reflects the way his game has changed and the way Willard and Steph Curry might be changing it by normalizing these kinds of shots, you know, that, that shooting from 30, shooting from 35, 37, in this case, you know, that, that you can do that. If you have your legs under you and the confidence it's it was incredible, and it was it was a, a special moment for him for the franchise. You think about how how rough it was almost, almost a year ago to the day when they got swept out of the playoffs by the New Orleans Pelicans and now they have this definitive win not only in the game but in the series and we don't know exactly who they're going to face yet but they have a clearer path to the conference finals this year than they have in a while
0: what did he shoot end up shooting on 30 foot or more three pointers in this series
1: so over the course of the five game series Lillard was five for five on shots listed 30 (laughs) feet or beyond three of those five coming in game five
0: yeah and some of the shots he was hitting in the first half i mean dudes on his back step backs pulling up i mean this is this shooting performance i mean it's been unbelievable like this uh, this playoffs for him has been as good as some of the best that we've seen from steph and and he's got arguably more versatility to his jump shot than curry does frankly uh now he doesn't do all the off ball stuff that curry does that's so difficult to defend but i mean man we've seen just some awesome playoff performance i mean he's got he's clearly the mvp of the the playoffs so far but you know some a lot of players haven't had particularly competitive series uh, to throw that in but you know, i mean there's when you just look at how in so many of these games like what else does portland have besides him and maybe cj i mean it's just those are the only two guys on this team who are creating a shot it's pretty remarkable against a good defensive team as well um i mean obviously some soul searching now for the thunder to be sure and
1: oh well actually before yeah. we get into that i want to mention so this was lillard's scoring performance was the fourth 50-point or more playoff game of this decade. The other three, LeBron dropping 51 on the Warriors in last year's finals, Isaiah 53 on the Wizards in 2017, and then Russell Westbrook himself 51 OKC at Houston in the 2017 playoffs. Then before that, it was yeah, all the and way that was
0: on like 44 shots or something. 43, I think. Like yeah, it, that was insane, on
1: 43. Yeah. And Ray Allen was the one before that in back when he was in Boston in 2009. So really, in I mean that is technically within the last 10 years, but really it's it's the fourth yeah. time in the re- in recent vintage.
0: Yeah, that Ray Allen guy, I think that was uh, game. Six. 6 in uh 2009 which is that triple overtime classic god what a series that was
1: well and, and you oh, know what's interesting of, of those last 5 including Damian Lillard's only 2 of the 5 have come in wins Isaiah's Celtics beat the Wizards and then Lillard tonight
0: yeah and we talked about the iconic playoff shots of the decade I mean obviously the Ray Allen shot has got to be up there the Kyrie even though it came with over a minute remaining the Kyrie three-pointer to beat Golden State provide the winning margin there uh even though it was in the regular season I mean that Curry shot against OKC this this shot was more ridiculous than that one by an order of magnitude I would say I mean that like the fact that to step back the pressure the fact that you actually have like an all-defensive player on you i mean that's got to be up there obviously lillard's other game series winning shot as well has got to be up there um LeBron's game winner in game 4 2015 against the Bulls would have to be in there as well. F- few others maybe that that I'm forgetting, but uh and the the only sad part about this one was that it was a game 5 when they were already up 3-1. But I I mean that shot basically saved them from having to go to a game 7, I would say. I mean, OKC would have certainly been favored in uh in game 6 at home.
1: Oh, what other piece of history? Lillard didn't quite get there, but he got close to the record for most points and a half in a playoff game. That record is held by a player that is known for a playoff performance but not necessarily for this record sleepy floyd dropped 29 on the lakers in the fourth quarter but that 29 pushed him up to 39 in the second half which is the most anybody's ever scored in a playoff half willard had 34 sleepy had 39 barkley 38 mj 37
0: so yeah i mean we'll talk more about okc in their offseason preview but certainly some soul searching here paul george finally had his dominant game in a loss in this series. And certainly he is the best thing that OKC has going right now but when you throw in their shooting problems Westbrook's very quickly declining play and you combine that with the fact that you know you can't really tell him nothing it seems like he doesn't seem like someone who is going to be able to evolve his game that well and you know he could turn into a liability very quickly obviously their lack of flexibility is huge as well Shooter, they're locked into him for a, another couple of years I think he, he had a good offensive game tonight but I I think this season he proved that he's not worth his 15 million dollar salary especially when you consider the first round pick that was traded to get him you know, I, th- I thought it was maybe a fair trade to get Anthony for Schreuder straight up you know they had about the same number of negative value on their contracts but Schroeder I think has not been what they hoped on either end overall this season so it, it's gonna be tough I mean it, it's maybe they could get the right matchup and get to the second round some years but I think it really and Steven Adams you know his declining play this season Is a major issue perhaps he had some health stuff that he was going through yeah i mean
1: he had a weird game five he just looked out of sorts a lot and and there's some late late rotations as a rim protector yeah it was it was a a strange
0: offensive rebounds for him i mean he really just was not like so much of their strategy really depends on him just being this bruising head knocking force and you know the blazers really took him out of the series in large part you know i mean his his biggest contribution was like you know some post-ups and floaters and that's not what steven Adams is supposed to be i mean he's not that old so we may just find out that he you know was really going through some stuff i don't think he's ever had like a surgery or anything but um you know i think grant uh, made some strides this year he's uh, gonna be a solid piece for them as a starting power forward in the future but i mean they got to get more out of ferguson and really make him a big shooting weapon or grant's gonna have to continue to improve his jumper i mean you've really you know to the point where he's not just okay we can leave him open and we'll close out of him it's like all right now he can't leave that guy you know that's that's still a long way to go for Jeremy Grant. He deserves a lot of credit for how far he's gone so far. You know, Markeith Morris, Noel, uh, Raymond Felton was was in the rotation this year. And they're going to be super expensive going forward. And they've paid a lot of money to not really be a playoff team. Well, or, or I'm sorry, to not really be a, a, a threat, any kind of a contender at all.
1: Yeah, and the late season swoon did really hurt their seating, though they ended up with Portland. I mean, they could have ended up with more dangerous yeah, first no, round. This is,
0: a, this is a winnable matchup. You oh, picked absolutely. them to win the I picked
1: pick them to win and and but so this year Russell Westbrook's his his advanced stats Forty seven percent true shooting on thirty three percent usage last year. I mean sky high assist rates, not a surprise. Last year in their six six game loss, forty nine percent true shooting, thirty-nine percent usage. He hasn't he his other than his first time in the playoffs, that six gamer they had against the Lakers, Russell Westbrook has been at thirty four percent. That's his best true shooting. Every other every other year, fifty four. Fifty four. I thought that's what I said. Fifty four. Every other every other year, fifty two percent or lower.
0: Yeah, that's pretty bad it seems pretty clear that teams can really lock in uh, on what they do and, and he's just he's not the same force in transition anymore either you know i mean i think that's a you know a big problem for them as well all right you are ready to talk uh nugget spurs here
1: i'm not sure i'm quite ready but i think we need to we need to get to it anyway i mean that was to me the most interesting of the remaining games oh,
0: oh, oh really
1: <laughs> yeah but but i think so i brought this up during the nba cast it was really striking so during because we happen to do both games four and five at least in part part of, of the last two Nugget Spurs games for the NBA cast. And I started getting into this idea at the end of the first quarter of game four about how at that point, while Denver had kept it close, you know, they had chances to, to tie the game and take the lead in game one. Broadly speaking, San Antonio had outplayed Denver consistently for that series, other than Jamal Murray going completely bananas in, this, in the fourth quarter of game two. Immediately following that, Denver has really taken control of this series I think they've defended much better and they've also been helped by hitting just a ridiculous proportion of their shots especially from three
0: yeah in the competitive portion of the game which we'll say was the first through third quarters tonight because when San Antonio gives up they really give up which I actually applaud 12 of 26 from downtown for Denver Jamal Murray another excellent game 23 points four of nine from three seven assists as well plus 27 so he he was fantastic They really solved the riddle uh, of Derek White guarding him. These last two games, he was able to get pretty decent looks. And and I thought even for the first time in the series, late in the second quarter, we started to see that real pinball, Jokic ball is what uh, Adam Marnas calls it, and backdoors, DHOs moving the ball so quickly they can't recover, just layups at the rim with the floor space and the Spurs just couldn't keep up and Jokic's passing and backdoors and the chemistry between he and Murray was awesome, giving goes. It, It looked awesome. And the Spurs really looked powerless. Derek Derek White, a second straight poor game from him, three fouls in the first half, got his fourth, and basically that was it for him early in the third quarter.
1: Denver had 23, in the first three quarters, Denver had 23 assists on 29 made baskets. They were really pinging it around, and there were so many beneficiaries of that. I mean, Paul Millsap, the difference in his self created shots versus his non self created shots was gargantuan. He had a couple of catch and shoot threes, but then had a series of just pretty awful twos to be honest jamal murray had a couple of catch and shoot threes missed one of them but i think there was one where he got two two shots on the same possession made the second one gary harris hit a few shots and denver you know they can they can generate these good looks through a couple of different means Jokic's brilliance is a big part of it Get generate them in transition and you're right i think this was the first game where not only from three but they were generating a lot better looks from two and i thought they were also playing better defense those things often run together and they played well Will Barton having a much better game I thought was was important too. He had that, you get two threes early on coming off the bench in game four, and then he just kept on taking shots and kept on missing them. But seven for 11, 17 points, three assists, I I thought he played very well overall.
0: Yeah. And he is talked about as a sixth man for a reason. And they, part of bringing him back was promising him that starting small forward job. Well, he's not a good matchup against DeMar DeRozan. And this series completely changed when they went to Torrey Craig. Craig only had one shot tonight, which was a a missed three. But apparently, you know, his gravity uh, was enough to open things up after he went five of seven last game. He did have 10 rebounds as well. And I think Plumlee's role was really minimized, which helped a lot. again they're part of they've taken those two big lineups with Jokic and Plumlee and just put Craig at the four in those instead whether with Plumlee or with with Jokic and I think that's really helped spread out the Spurs as well and the Spurs looked like they had no chance of stopping Denver tonight they could have stayed in it a little bit more early they trailed 26 to 19 after one and they just missed so many layups in the first half there's six of 16 at the rim DeRozan was 0 for 4 Aldridge was 2 for 5 and he missed three Three just wide open layup, like really not much of a contest at all, you know? So the Spurs could have played better and been in this a little more just by like actually making some layups. And well, I thought, yeah.
1: What the, the shot that they, they, didn't take so they couldn't really make them were threes so in the first quarter i praise san antonio because they got seven three-pointers up they made two of those seven in the next two quarters which was basically the rest of the competitive portion of the game they only took six and only made one of those six so they were one for six from three in a full half of nba playoff basketball
0: yeah that's that's really bad and i think last game there were three of 17 from three three of 13 in the first three quarters tonight so i mean and yeah they don't shoot a lot of threes so in theory they're not dependent on them but they also shot 40% from three and that mitigated the impact of them not taking that many and I mean that's the number one weakness for Denver is giving up threes and if you're just not that's not part of your system you start one three-point shooter in Bryn Forbes he took three of those 13 three-point attempts they did try to go to some more lineups with like with Mills Bertans only played seven minutes in the first three quarters Rudy Gay has uh, been totally shut down by Paul Millsap forcing him to his left you know he was negative 15 three of eight from the field again did have one nice pass but that was about it white only got four field goal attempts up in those first three quarters so yeah i mean like to just like the spurs team is the number five offense in the nba and they've been totally shut down the, the last seven quarters by this nuggets team or i should say six because we don't care what happened in the fourth quarter of this game
1: i do want to briefly single out jacob pertle for praise i thought he was yeah. the best spur in this game did a nice job contesting shots at the rim and you remember we talked in game four about how his absence due to foul trouble ended up making a difference as Denver kind of took control of that game, thought he did a nice job overall, kept the ball moving a little bit, you know, still foul happy. That's, That's just a part of Pirtle's game, but against Denver, who typically has two bigs out there i think he's made a big difference
0: yeah jokic didn't take nearly as many shots in this game he had 29 last game took 22 shots but i really appreciated mike malone again extending his minute you know he played 33 of the first 36 minutes of this game and plumley only played five five minutes and i I think that's what they need to do jokic uh is that good and when he got the ball in the post they did more of the five one pick and roll they're getting some stops they're able to get just into a semi-transition situation Spurs don't have a lot of length or speed. They're not going to be able to make a lot of rotations, close guys down. I, th- I thought DeRozan had a really poor defensive game in this one. In particular, Forbes and Mills just don't have the size. I mean, they're playing... At one point, they're playing Forbes... Mills and Bellinelli together or Forbes, Mills, and DeRozan. I mean, without White out there, and, and White didn't have a great defensive game either. Um, but without White out there, they have no chance to stop anyone on the perimeter. And then of course, with White in there, as long as he if he's not blowing by guys to the rim and Gary Harris has made that a lot more difficult, they're not doubling off of him anymore. Now where are you getting the shooting and the spacing from? So you know this is kind of it took a while, but this is kind of what we thought might happen of just you know, are the Spurs really gonna be able to ISO Denver into oblivion? And it just doesn't look like that's the case and now denver has really good matchups on their best three guys it's just white aldridge and DeRozan, well, they got Millsap, Craig, and Harris to guard those three guys. And the Spurs do a lot of ISO. And if you, they can't create the advantage. And then they got Jokic who can slide over as well uh, onto Aldridge. It's, uh, it's pretty tough. I mean, I, I, if I had to pick, I would actually probably make Denver the favorites in game six, personally. I, I think they really just seem to have solved this team now. You know, the Spurs will play a lot better at home. They're, they'll, backs against the wall, that shit. But, uh, you know, it does seem like Denver is the better team. And I'm glad for their sake that they are, are starting to show that and these Sp- the Spurs team just has so many guys who are just limited. You know, I mean it's really, we get back to this every time. You know, it's it's your stars number 1 and then it's number 2, you know, do you have guys who are versatile who don't have weaknesses and the Stars aren't that good and they don't have a lot of versatility or athleticism either.
1: Yeah, and we saw some really awful defensive backcourts for San Antonio which really doesn't work against Denver because they have yep. guys that can that can create, they can attack off ball, that can they can do a lot of damage. I will also note that on a night where Theory, if, if we were dealing in a hypothetical where the fourth game of the night didn't happen we could have started this with the audio of your call of Mason Plumley's post-up <laughs> which was just uh, the put that was on was that
0: on Purtle? i think so yeah it, it was definitely was not an advantage matchup oh my god yeah i mean he just he posted and, and i'm sorry to shit him pull me all the time and like it's a lot of it's an aesthetic thing i do think he's overrated i think he's overrated by the nuggets i thought it was an asinine contract to give him in restricted free agency with no other bidders and, and a center who's a superstar on your team who should be playing 40 minutes a game in the playoffs but you know he's a, a solid backup center in the regular season and can step in and and has some passing ability lets him run some of the same stuff but like he just he's so big for his britches offensively like he just wants to post up all the time and it's just he had took two of the ugliest hook shots in nba history tonight and, and it wasn't even like not even in advantage matchups either it one really, other note it just, on his it drives me it yeah. drives me crazy
1: one other note on his contract remember denver gave up a first round pick to duck the luxury tax this year and the amount of money yes. that they cleared in that trade was somewhat similar to the amount that plumley is making so yeah
0: but they wanted to pay the repeater tax in fighters. all right so we said we shouldn't (laughs) we shouldn't be mean to denver this is uh one of the. a
1: great it's a great win we can we can be mean to them because it looks like it looks like we're going to be nice to them for at least another few days so they they can get the the little barbs
0: and and portland denver will i think is going to be a really fun series maybe not as high quality as the other three that we're going to see but i think it's going to be really really enjoyable it's a palate cleanser so yeah absolutely it's uh i mean a lot of exciting players a lot of offense a lot of very interesting matchups in that series assuming that denver can close it out and they you know i think teams that win game five and lead three 2 you know win like 83 percent of the time and i would put them in, in even a more commanding position than that uh because it does really seem like the spurs mystique uh is is uh is dead right now in this series um it is interesting i mean this is a totally different spurs team but it is interesting how often that the spurs seem to just start really well in a series and just kind of get figured out and I I don't know that if that's coaching as much as it's personnel in this case I think it's really more personnel and just Denver realizing what their advantages were and obviously moving Craig into the starting lineup I think was huge but I mean there are lots of series where the Spurs like started really well now in in 2014 obviously against Miami it was basically the opposite the the Spurs just like got better as the series went along and rolled Um,
1: the the series I thought of when you brought that up was 2012 when they they went up commanding two, was it, it was two zero, I believe yeah, against Doakum's yeah. and then just got just got trucked for the rest of that series. I don't want to spend too far on this. I don't want to get too far afield but Popovich, you know, I think in certain facets of these last, this last, like the post Tim Duncan era, which I think is also a meaningful line of demarcation considering how important he was defensively and a lot of these things is that Popovich, he might be such a good regular season coach that it it covers up these deficiencies that then become not survivable against superior competition.
0: uh, more personnel deficiencies right yeah I I totally agree with you yeah so
1: like you think about I mean a good example of this was the year without Kawhi basically you know last year and they're they have this amazing defense which was cultivated basically out of thin air and then granted they're facing that Warriors team which is one of the most talented ever assembled no Steph Curry though yeah no Steph Curry that's true and they had
0: they had had like a 500 record without Steph Curry during. and they got and
1: they gotten destroyed by the Jazz on like I think it was the last game of the season no I mean
0: obviously that, that Warriors team changed things up and blah blah I don't yeah, know. We, and they, l- they we can they talk out. more about this first when they get eliminated though maybe we should we yeah. should wrap this up here we can uh well
1: I, I think it's just that I want avoiding talking about the other two games I mean well, there
0: okay were... I, I'll start with the stat for you here this is a great stat uh I can't remember the Schumann or Bodner who had this I think it was Schumann at one point in the game with Philadelphia's five starters on the floor they had outscored Brooklyn 37 to 2 all right you want to talk about uh, Toronto Orlando now
1: yeah I mean they're they're There are some pretty, pretty stark things there as well. I mean, Orlando relied really on that that re- incredibly hot shooting in game one when they when they won that one. And this time around, 30, 39% from the field, 32 of 83, 27% from three, and Toronto put the clamps to him, I think offensively, and then they were able to get looks all over. And I, I thought actually the early part of this game where, where it was basically settled, though Orlando did cut the margin, was a lot of defensive failures by the Orlando Magic
0: yeah it really started the raptors really started moving the ball in transition early i mean but the biggest problem was orlando just couldn't score i mean that nine of 34 three-point shooting they especially early on as the raptors built out to over a 20-point lead in the the first half that orlando got within 13 at one point very briefly and then Kawhi and lowry came back in the game and they instantly built it back 20 and that was it And, and Kawhi, i mean he had three games in this series that were just absolutely completely ridiculous unstoppable tonight 27 points he did it on 8 of 11 shooting and so he actually had 13 shooting possessions in this game so that's more than two points every time he shot the ball or took a trip to the free throw line five of five from three six of six from the foul line plus 38 and his defense really was back to me the one play that he had in transition where they threw it ahead to him he was getting his left arm held he just catches it one-handed and then just turns it over and dunks it never even touches the ball with his left hand it was just like one of the more ridiculous plays i've ever seen in terms of just like hand size and athleticism and we talked about it in game after game three and four that the spacing that toronto has put around him really for the first time in his career we've seen him just be able to bully basically anyone to get to the rim and vucevic had another nightmare three fouls in the first quarter ended up sitting out the entire rest of the first half and he was i mean quite frankly kem birch was Better than him in the series for Orlando. I mean that that's how bad he was, you know, defensively in particular. He really struggled in the first half of this one and three of ten shooting. I mean, he's gonna have nightmares about Marcus Ole all season or or, uh, all off season, I should say. And and, you know, maybe maybe a few about Serge Ibaka too, and the rest of this swarming Raptors defense that just is all over the place all the time. It's this is probably. I mean, I I'm trying to I don't can't think of any others off the top of my head, but this has got to be like the most dominant performance in a series by a team that lost game one
1: you have a more encyclopedic memory of the, of this than i but it it certainly is striking there i mean in this one yeah
0: i mean you'd probably have to go back to like i mean some of these other ones at least had like one other really close game game three was like kind of close at the end but they were still up by like 10 for <laughs> when
1: Kawhi had the flu happened. yeah yeah I mean, and also the, the efficiency of Toronto starters, Pascal Siakam, 8 of 16, Kawhi, you mentioned it, 8 of 11, Lowry, 6 of 10, Powell was over 50%, Abaka was over 50% from the field. It was, it was really remarkable to just see them humming on all cylinders and then also just dominating defensively. And it was, it was just, uh, just a dominant overall performance. And now we don't know the timing yet. I'm a little bit surprised that the league has announced it, though they have plenty of time now that the Eastern Conference second round that we've been waiting on basically since
0: the start of the year
1: well i was thinking since the since the sixers traded for jimmy butler that was kind of to me that was really the moment where you're like oh yeah it's really going to be four i mean we thought it before then but then i thought that ratcheted up and it's It's those four teams. That's who's left.
0: Yeah, all we want. I can't. I mean, there's just we'll probably spend a lot of time the rest of the week talking about these series that are coming up. I mean, I was kidding around about like should we move on to Toronto or later. Is there anything else you want to say about Brooklyn, Philly?
1: A few small things. I mean, the the blitz came so early that the game was basically over like five minutes in. But some really rough performances by Nets that kind of continued stories from this series. D'Angelo Russell, three of 16 from the field. One of six from three, three assists, one turnover. Joe Harris ended up four of 11 from the field, but missed four of his five three-pointers. And I mean, the, there were some guys who put up numbers on the bench, but we, we don't really care about yeah. that. And then Joel Embiid, I mean, I, I'm a little bit, I mean, it's 20 minutes, 23 points, 13 rebounds two assists plus 26 like that that's completely insane
0: yeah I mean you you noted this the other day and it's probably only gone up that he was like leading the NBA in postseason PR by like 10 points I mean now he's playing limited minutes obviously and taking the opportunity to shoot every time he can when he's in there but I mean that it that's completely insane and he, he obviously I mean there couldn't be a better matchup really in the entire NBA for him to go up against in this first round than Brooklyn I mean they really just not only do they only have one center available that center is pretty skinny and then they don't have any kind of length or athleticism on the perimeter as far as guys who are going to like help and close out and like cause problems as help defenders like big big strong wings with athleticism they don't have anybody like that either so i mean there's really it was about as easy as it got out there for joel in this series and certainly there's a big measure of concern about the number of minutes he's going to play his overall shape uh, in this toronto series going forward but in Philly that starting lineup was so dominant in this series and just getting James Ennis back and having Mike Scott did get I think a heel contusion in this game so that'll be something to watch going forward they can ill afford to lose Mike Scott which is amazing to say but and and TJ got a few minutes in this one I think they still really would like to avoid having to play him um you know what's gonna happen with Boban in the next series I mean I can't wait to talk about that series it's just the Sixers team is just such a quirky matchup still you know maybe even more so than last year when we thought they were a team of extreme um and for brooklyn this is one where it was a feel-good season for them they go into the offseason with some cap space we'll talk about their offseason obviously as well but you know as far as lessons learned i think some of the things that we were saying about d'angelo russell in the regular season you know it was very clear that he was going to struggle against length and athleticism and this wasn't even a team that was switching him very much either like that's even more of his his problem i'd love to say how spencer dinwiddie is better than him and should have played more but he was one out of seven in this game too so uh you know that's a problem and they clearly need more on the wing uh they probably need a center with a little more heft if you're gonna gonna have to go up against you know a toronto or a, a philly at some point uh but this is a fun series fun rivalry i think you know ultimately atkinson did all that he could in this series and it just they obviously didn't have the personnel they didn't have the athleticism and the sixers i'm glad for the sixers that their stars were able to come through and that they were able to just overwhelm this team the, the way i I think they should have. I mean, after that game one, I and mean, this is another one where they lost game one, and we're like, "Oh shit!" And they just pretty much dominated the last four games, and there was that game four was the only one that was close.
1: In a gigantic disappointment, Joel Embiid's margin on the rest of the league in postseason PER is all the way down to seven point seven
0: six. Dame Dame number two, Giannis. Oh yeah, yeah, because he had forty one uh, in right that. Pistons closeout game last night.
1: But Lillard sixty two percent true shooting <laughs> over this series on thirty. On I mean,
0: 30- yeah. That- usage is 33 usage yeah and against you know again a pretty like he's playing against a real team unlike some of these guys um all right that's enough to wrap it up here this is a fun first round we still got one series going on amazingly
1: well no we have three series going on nate
0: oh yeah that's right yeah i guess we're going to that game tomorrow huh
1: yep no, oh, Doesn't and like going to and, be,
0: they're and be over. I give Utah uh, a little bit of a shot. Either.
1: Oh yeah, I I think I think Utah can put it together. They they looked a lot better in in game four. Uh, I will also note. So the the hilarity in some ways, the torture that that has been part of this for me. Uh, I with all these series ending so quickly and in, in rapid succession, I have a bunch of off season previews coming out at the Athletic. The Pistons are definitely coming out on Wednesday. I have submitted all of the other teams that have been eliminated but I just don't know which ones, you know, editorial staff is working hard on not only my work, but the great, the the great work that everybody else at the athletic is doing. So I don't know which ones, but that's why it's good to follow me on Twitter, or you can just check out my author page at the athletic and you can see everything as it pops
0: up. Yeah. And I know there's some news that came out, but we'll probably save that for tomorrow. Uh, and we'll talk to you all then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh,